Welcome to the Mind Body Business Podcast. Have you ever considered your superpower? If you had one gift to leave with humanity, what would that be? We believe that everyone possesses a superpower. This is your value proposition, your je ne sais quoi to help make a tangible difference in the world. Each week, our show explores these superpowers with tantalizing thought seeds germinating only from the power of collective thought. We invite you to join us for one hour each week and listen in as we dispense superpower knowledge from great people doing greater things. Let's do this. On the podcast today, we are excited to welcome as our guest, Michelle Anhang. I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, she is a mentor, she is a coach, and she's a recovering victim of anxiety and depression, which we all deal with on a regular basis. Um, her catalyst for her story begins um, 10 years ago. Her husband, who she's been dating since she was 13, um, married at 20. Um, of many years, she was married for 14 years, chose to end his life and left Michelle with their two sons and a backpack full of grief and shame. So alone and dealing with the shame of her late husband's abrupt end to life, uh, she was faced, and I'm gonna say this because it's a tongue twister, inexorable amount of humiliation that eventually morphed into her backpack of shame, which we're gonna talk a little bit about today. She carried the shame for about 10 years, directly impacting her children, her life, physically, her mental health, um, a spiral, a death spiral, if you will. Um, Self-aware of that, she decided to do something about it. And so we're, we're gonna have a discussion around, I don't wanna to get too, insensitive, but I'd like to understand a little bit about more about how her husband, what she knows about her husband now after the fact, after 10 years of introspection and analysis and kind of dealing with that shame. Um, just kind of learn more about that. Does that sound good? That sounds great. So I'm going to bring her in. Hey. She's hey. back. I'm here. When we're talking in the waiting room, can you hear us? I don't, we don't yeah. even actually know. See, we got to switch that. We have a new, we have a new platform we're about to switch to, but we're going to test it out on ourselves first. So cool. All right. So um, in the waiting room, while we were talking behind your back, we were talking a little bit about your life and your journey. Um, your husband left this planet, um, committed suicide. And for 10 years or so, you didn't really address that. And you allowed it to basically death spiral your life and your children and that sort of stuff. And after 10 years, you became self-aware enough. And I hope I'm encapsulating this properly. After 10 years or so, you decided to do something about it because you were self-aware enough to know what it was doing to you and your children and your life in general. And so um, you use the term backpack of shame. And I think that uh, all of us have that sort of backpack of shame. I know that we all have our own baggage that we carry around. I, I came from an abusive background. My father was abusive, abused my, my siblings, my mother. Lisa has a story of her own, which I'll allow her to address. But I think for me, the first question I, I'm curious about is, you know, you were married really young to a sweetheart of yours. I think I read 13 years old, you met him and then you got married at 20, eight, eight, eight so eight. Yeah, <laughs> we literally knew each other our whole lives. Playground yeah. playmates. <laughs> so I think my first thing is I personally have never lost anyone in my life that mm -hmm. mattered. My grandfather died, but, but he was like 90 years old and he was like, you know, 
fuck this. I'm ready to leave this planet. I have the best life ever, 90 years old. What else am I? I'm not going to a nursing home. I'm not going to be that sort of life the remaining few years. So I don't even know how I would deal with something like that. So I guess, and, and if there's anything that I'm not supposed to ask, please raise your hand because I don't have a filter. I, just, I missed out on that educational background of the filtering what I say. So when, you're, when your husband decided to end his own life, what, what are the first things that even process through your mind at that point? Honestly, the first thing that was in my head was this isn't real. And that's really, I, I was just, you know, screaming that I was at work and I got the call. Um, he had actually called me right before uh, he died. He wanted to say goodbye and, you know, he loved us, but he thought that this was, you know, what he needed to do. And um, I, you know, couldn't stop him. I tried and then he hung up on me and I called 911, not knowing what else to do, even though he wasn't even, we were in different countries. I was at home in Canada. He was in New York at the time, but somehow they actually managed to trace, um, trace the calls. So they found him and they called me, I think not long after, you know, times kind of was weird. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was just, this isn't real. Like this is not happening. I, I really, I didn't believe it. So the backpacks of shame, you mentioned on your website that your husband was bipolar and there were some other mental diseases that were going on. Yeah. At any point, at any point leading up to that, were, were there any sort of indicators that something like this could go that direction? I mean, looking no. back, it's 2020, yeah. I understand. All yeah. Um, no, he never talked about wanting to die. Um, you know, any of the things that you hear people say, he never did. Um, I had actually put him in the hospital a couple of weeks earlier because I thought he might accidentally hurt himself. Um, you know, by, by, by the end, he was um, in complete psychosis. He was not himself. He was wandering the streets all night and, you know, just really, he was a different person. But I didn't think it would be anything intentional. I was shocked. The reason we wanted to bring you on the podcast um, for a variety of other reasons, uh, A, I love your story, but B, you know, we're, we're at an all-time high right now across the globe of depressions, suicides, all sorts of mental issues that people are having from quarantine, from corona. And I don't want to go into the corona conversation. I, I really want to keep this around how does, how does somebody, A, as a loved one, diagnose that or be more aware of that their, that their loved ones could potentially be going through something? How do you address that? And purposefully, how does one address it themselves if they don't have any avenues to reach out to somebody? So I want to, now I'm going to back, go back again. So he commits suicide and, uh, and you go into this down spiral, if you will, of 10 years, you're left alone. You have your husband, your sweetheart, you have two sons that you're left to raise on your own. It's basically survival mode, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. So for, for 10 years, you just basically checked out Yep. What, what happened during those 10 years that made you snap back into reality and realize, holy shit, I need to wake the fuck up. I've got a life that I have to live. I have two kids that are completely dependent upon me. What was that catalyst? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, talking about that backpack of shame that I, I also had from, you know, a, a childhood with emotional abuse and, you know, kind of just taking everything on myself of just, oh, it's, it must somehow be my fault. Um, and, and I'm broken and all of those thoughts. And 
So yeah, the next 10 years looked like me being completely shut down, me thinking I didn't deserve happiness. Um, I didn't dare to dream. And I really just drew to myself a ton of toxicity. And, um, you know, between the isolation of, you know, not wanting to talk about the suicide and what happened and keeping everybody kind of at bay in my own depression, I wasn't attracting good things into my life. And, and it really, um, for me, it was around my 45th birthday, I was in a job already for about 10 years that I was not happy in. I, I was working in finance and sitting behind a desk punching numbers all day, which was not what I was supposed to be doing. But it was like, well, I'm a single mom. Who am I to go and quit a perfectly good job and become an entrepreneur and a coach? Like, you know, and uh, so I, I stuck with it, but I, I dreaded going in every day. I just was not happy. And then I was in a relationship that was also extremely unhealthy because, well, I was. So that's what I attracted. And um, this relationship in particular was different than any other I had been in because it really just mirrored my childhood home. And I didn't realize the, excuse the French, but the mind fuck that was going on. And um, until I, I went back for therapy and, you know, my, my therapist was just like, you're being gaslit. This is what's going on. It's like, oh my God, I've been here before. And yeah, so around that time, I guess what they call the midlife crisis, I, um, I was just like, okay, I, I can't live the next half of my year in as much pain as I'm living in right now. Like I, I have to change and, you know, starting to do that inventory and realizing that every single thing had me in common. And it was like, okay, I can change me. And, and I'm going to, and, you know, it, it was, it was a tough process, but it was not harder than the way I was choosing to live at that point. You, you have a lot through your website as we um, researched and developed, basically <laughs> stalked you, talking about taking into yourself the control of changing yourself. And I think like from what you say, it's easy to get into survival mode and to, to we're really good at making ourselves busy, so yeah. busy that we can ignore those other things and we can only do it for so long. So Again, I guess the catalyst for you to make that change and what you would suggest for other people to make that change. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, it, it was a series of rock bottoms. Um, I, I wish I could say I had one, but you know, coming from the kind of childhood that I did, I had a pretty high tolerance for pain already. And so I let myself go through a lot until I was just like, I'm crying every day. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. And so, yeah, doing, just doing that work and, and reaching out and finding, I needed to find people that didn't see me as broken as I saw myself. And I think that was really what helped me move, start to move forward. I mean, aside from therapy, but also it was just everybody that I knew, you know, we're kind of, everybody was sort of in that same boat of just not having any kind of coping skills, you know, from different degrees, but we all kind of just found each other and, you know, lived in our, our you know, brokenness, I guess. And that just becomes the norm. And I had to literally step out of that space and start finding new communities, new people, new support systems um, that, that, 
didn't see me in that same way and, and chose to live a life that was better and seeing, you know, what they could do and what they were doing was like, oh, well, why can't I have that? And they're, you know, having them build me up as well, because I was in no space to build myself. I was, you know, happy to be curled up in a ball and yeah, either, like you said, just keep moving and being in that hypervigilant mode of just, you know, that moving target or, or curled up in a ball in, in depression and just like, okay, life can happen, but I can't be a part of it. It always strikes me as odd, and I think about this a lot, actually. What separates people like yourself from your husband who, and I don't know anything about your husband's history, but mm-hmm. um, I, I know that both Lisa and I had significant amounts of trauma in our childhood, and I know a lot of other people that have, and some people choose to change that. And I, I don't, I always struggle with, did I change it myself, or was I destined to change it, or were there people around me that forced me to change it, or did I read something? What is that that differentiates the people that decide to make lemonade out of their lemon life versus the people who just decide to end their life or just squalor, squalor it away? I, I never quite understand that. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, um, I know for myself, I didn't think I was supposed to be in the story that I was in. I was like, this, you know, this is just not supposed to be happening to me. I think that's really, and I didn't know how to find my way out for, you know, 45 years. Um, But I always had that belief of there's got to be something better. There has to be something different. It, it, It can't be that it's supposed to be this hard. And so just always looking and, you know, looking in so many different directions, like looking to astrology, looking to, you know, anything that, you know, give me some glimmer of that there's something different, that there's hope. And, and I think that deep down that yearning for, you know, I just want to be happy and I just kept looking for it. And I, you know, I can't speak for others who, who give up, but for me, it was just like, I'm going to find it, damn it, as hard as, as hard as it is to find, I'm going to keep looking. So we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the podcast. I'd like you to leave us Mm -hmm. with a few tools in our arsenal that we can use to cope with this sort of stuff. But um, a fellow Canadian and someone I I read quite egregiously now, Jordan Peterson, he talks about that a little bit, um, how we're always looking for something else to solve our problems instead of our own personal responsibility and being introspective enough around that. And he he speaks a lot. And I'm I've discovered him about a year ago, as did most other people on the planet, and it's absolutely brilliant. But one of the things that I love most about him is he talks a lot about um, his inspirations are Freud and Jung, Jung, and he talks about how the sins of the childhood always come back to haunt us and the outcomes of the adult, and that if there was better intersection between the education of our of children early on in their lives, as opposed to just putting them into a system and, and expecting them all to do the same thing, if we could intersect in their lives early on and talk about this mental health problem that most people have, and if we could somehow be more proactive about treating that, we'd have less of the issues we're having. So why doesn't that happen? We have an archaic educational system. Um, I think we can all agree. I mean, nothing's changed since the 1940s and yeah, we're, we're still going along in that way, but I'll tell you, I I have a lot of hope for our future because I think our generation is still stuck in that in that mindset. But you know, I have two sons who are in university, 
you know, when they were in high school and, you know, mental health issues were really starting to show up, their generation talked like, I mean, they're Gen Z and they talk very openly about it. I, I actually um, speak a lot to high school kids, um, especially now we I'll do presentations over Zoom because teachers are looking for something different to, to bring to the kids. And I talk about mindfulness for mental health they are so open about what's going on with them. We are still kind of in that idea of like, oh, we need to hide it and we can't be proud of it. And the whole education system is built around our brokenness. Like, you know, if you don't fit perfectly into the box, then you've got the IEP. I, I don't know if it's mm -hmm. the same in the US. And, you know, there's something wrong with you and you need to be pulled out for remedial help. We're not looking at this, like maybe the system is broken. <laughs> we're looking at blaming the kids. So these poor kids and we're included grew up thinking, oh, well, if I'm not perfect at math, something's wrong with me. Instead of saying, oh, you're not good at math, but you're great in the arts, let's, let's build on that. Like there's no option. So we're always like, I think we're raising a culture of less than and not enough. And we're just, we keep perpetuating it. But, you know, talking to my sons, talking to their friends, hearing what, you know, these high school kids have to say when I do my presentations, they want the change, they see the change, they see how we have messed up our planet and how we've done so many things that need to be corrected. And I think they're really the generation that's gonna shift that. So I'm hopeful. You wrote that down about that quote you had on there. Oh yeah, your, your top quote when you're talking about me um, from Viktor Frankl, hmm. that's super strong. Um, when you're no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. And you were talking about your high tolerance for, you know, the way that you grew up and through your, your marriage. And you, you obviously have a lot of strength. You have a high tolerance to get through situations. And I think we, we, we're programmed to just think that whatever our situation is, it's normal and it's, and it's the way of life. Mm -hmm. And at some point you broke out of that. So that I think is for all of us, like we come to the realization that we're enough, we're good enough, we expect more. And you were talking about searching and that we're all searching for things. Um, you also talked about living within other people's expectations of ourselves, who we should be and what they, what they see. And I live in a very small community, so everybody knows everybody's sort of thing. So that, that can be really tricky. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, you know, again, it's stepping out and finding new people because my community was also pretty tight and, you know, nobody talked about mental health. Nobody talked about suicide um, and everyone was kind of stuck in that dysfunctional pattern. And it, it is up to us to, to seek out, you know, the, the people that don't necessarily think that the people that are on this journey of growth, and there are so many people and it's trial and error. And, you know, it's just, I think, but I think we have to really want it. We have to want it badly enough. And that's, you know, really what it comes down to is, is you know, and, and sometimes we're not at the point that we're even ready. Like, you know, I have that, that high tolerance. It had to get really, really bad for me to finally say, okay, I'm ready to do something about this. Even, like, even though I was still searching, but it was like, no, I'm, I will do whatever it takes. And for me, it was like, 
a year of doing inner child work, of doing somatic work, of doing EMDR, which is trauma therapy, all like in the same week, going from one to the next to the next. I don't recommend that for everybody, but I was really determined. And I think it is about making that choice and just it's, I mean, we have choices all day, every day. And it's really looking at like, okay, is, are you making choices that are just perpetuating what's wrong in your life, what you don't want to continue? And then seeing like, okay, how do I, how do I shift out of it? Even if it's the tiniest thing and, and reaching out, looking, I mean, we, as, as many complaints as we have about social media today, it's also such a gift. Like Facebook was not around when I was going through my pain, you know, after losing my husband, like it, it came out shortly after, but now there are groups for everything. Like you just need to search it up, whatever, you know, it's like, oh, my husband died by suicide. There are going to be a hundred groups just for people like that. And so there is support and, and, you know, particularly now with the pandemic too, everybody's moved online. So you can literally find support groups in every country, whatever time zone, you could be spending your whole day in these groups. And it's really just a matter of just search them out, join them, because there are people out there who really like they just need to be one step ahead of you to help to guide you and and there are so many people and it, it's so readily available that you know i urge everyone like if you're ready just start there start joining a group and and stalk it you know just just see the other people's posts see that there is love out there that there is hope and and it's baby steps I agree with you on the power of social media. If you use it responsibly, it has the potential to change people's lives. Yeah. So um, I want to go back to a previous uh, conversation we had. You talk about stripping the silence and we talk about teenagers and the, the Generation Z and they're more open to having these sorts of conversations around mental health. But right now they're at an all time high in depression and suicide, like that group in and of itself. So how do you make that connection between stripping the silence and treating that and providing some sort of resources for this group who right now doesn't have a very positive outlook on what's going on? Because, so let me rephrase. I agree with you. I think that, I think that right now there's a lot of positive things that are actually happening. It doesn't appear that way on the surface, but underneath, I believe there's a lot of changes going on that the system needs, but a teenager, my daughter, for example, who's 14, doesn't see that. She's seen her entire life stripped away from her, her school, her sports, her social circle. She's locked down in home. She can't go out and about like she normally could. And all of her friends feel the same exact way. So, and, and if I'm understanding what you mean by stripping the silence, how do you make that connection to a 14 year old or a generation Z or a, a, a teenager who has had their, this perfect storm culminate in their lives? and destroy everything they know, how do you strip that silence for them to let them know that there is hope through all this? How do they find that hope? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's tough. Um, but I think for one thing, it's about acknowledging it. It's about having the conversations like, you know, as parents and just in general, we're so afraid of like, oh, I don't want to start the conversation because maybe they're not thinking about it right now. And the truth is they're all thinking about it all the time. Yeah. So just starting those conversations, creating that space where they can feel safe to talk about how they're feeling that, you know, 
if they say, yeah, I'm feeling really down or I'm worried about this friend of mine that you're not going to suddenly jump into like fixing that, you know, that maybe we're going to ask them like, okay, what do you need from me in this moment? Like, do you want me to just listen and be an ear? Are you looking for advice? Like asking them and empowering them too, just asking them what they want. I mean, I think we, we have to let them know that there still are choices and just again, just saying like, okay, what, what can, what's within your control? What's one little thing you can do to shift this, you know, in, in this moment for today, for now, how can you, but, but letting them know that they're not powerless. I know we, we all feel like we're powerless to some extent and we, we are, but, but there are things that we can be doing within our day, even at home, you know, if it's lifestyle changes, whatever it is, communicating, you know, let just letting them get creative with well what will serve you right now whether it's you know having a group chat on on skype or zoom or whatever it is with their friends i know my kids do that you know they'll be up like all night (laughs) you know chatting with their friends and it sounds like there's a party in my house but you know it's just uh the kids are are connecting somehow so just but letting them see that that they they can make these choices rather than us telling them what they should do just just asking them getting curious do you think that your experience through all this trauma has helped you become a better life coach a better mentor a better therapist if you will having gone through all of that let's pretend all things being equal and you had taken path a which doesn't include your your husband leaving this planet and you take in path B, which includes everything that it is, mm-hmm. do having gone through that, did it make you a better therapist, a better coach? Yeah. So, so just to clarify, I'm not a therapist. I don't want to mislead anyone. I, mm-hmm. I'm a certified coach. Um, but I think the answer is hundred percent. Yes. Having been through what I've been through, I, I can be with clients with other people who have gone through pretty dark stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I know darkness. I know it well. I've, I lived in that space a long time. I'm very comfortable in it. And so I, I am not thrown off by clients who come to me and are just like, listen, you know, do you coach around this kind of topic? It's like, yeah, <laughs> no problem. So, so yes, I think that, you know, I mean, everyone's experience of the darkness is different and I honor that, but I'm completely within my comfort zone going into those spaces because, because of my familiarity with it. And, and also being able to coach people because having been in so much darkness and then moving out of it, I, I know the light too. I know more light than I would have known if I hadn't gone into those places because you know, it's, it's that, that the different ends of the spectrum and the, and the contrast Um, but I feel that people come to me because they know I've been through it and they see the life that I'm living now. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm walk and walk. So it does inspire people to see like, yes, there is hope rather than just going to somebody who's never been through anything. And you're trying to work through it going like, do you even get what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, you want to talk broken? Let's talk broken. (laughs) So yeah, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm, now I'm grateful for my experiences. Would I have chosen it? Maybe not, but you know, I think it's it's about finding meaning or creating meaning out of out of these experiences. And and I've done, I feel I've done that. 
So you, you've said as well that we are more than the events that have happened to us. And I think we have a hard time differentiating that. Sometimes we think that that's who we are and we're not this other potential person that we can become. But you're very, very candid on um, taking that step to make the difference that you are completely responsible for the success in your life and at some point making that movement. When, when you're talking about your clients, who, who do you find, like, is it just a wide dispersity of, of different people or who do you find that you're coaching mostly? Is there, is there one specific person that you're reaching out to or is it just a bandwidth of everything that you're able um, to? Yeah, I, I get a lot of everything, <laughs> you know, cause I, I can coach on, on any topic, but I, the, the people who are drawn to me are the ones who have had um, had rough childhoods, you know, whether or not they're able to identify abuse. Um, you know, sometimes that comes up later where, you know, it's just like, wow, you, you know, the way that they talk about themselves, their self-worth, and it's just like, where did this come from? Like, you know, we don't have this like low, like I know I felt no, I had no sense of self-worth I felt like I had no value in the world like for decades and it you know that doesn't come from nowhere and it's really just about experiencing that and and so yeah sometimes clients will come to me about one topic and we just end up going deep and it's like oh this came up and then I'm like okay this is stuff you need to work with the therapist on uh, because the, the therapists do focus more on on the past and you know, can, can help with the healing. And I will work with them at the same time of like, okay, this is where you are today. And where do you want to be as you're doing your healing work? Um, but, but yeah, it's usually people who are feeling like they don't fit in the box either. They don't, maybe they don't know quite why, but there's something in, in my words that resonates that lands and, and it usually surfaces during mm -hmm. coaching. Mm -hmm. What are some of those, what are some of those self-aware items that we as adults and, and the young ones can start asking themselves to be more self-aware around some of the signs that they're going through? What, what Are there some, some check boxes that we can be just kind of surface level asking? Yeah. Yeah. Start, start with noticing your self-talk. We all have that running <laughs> dialogue in our heads. The, the judge, the one that's just commenting on everything. Notice the way that you speak to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, that's the first place to start. It's, you know, the easiest and the hardest of just, you know, how, what do you, what do you say to yourself? How are, you know, would you speak the way that you're speaking to yourself to anybody else? Are you abused? Like I know for myself, I was, I took over, you know, it was mostly my mother who, you know, had a lot of disparaging things to say, but I took over that role from her and that became my inner dialogue. And so I was constantly putting myself down. I was calling myself names all the time of like, oh, you're so stupid. How could you do that? You don't deserve this. Like what's wrong with you? And, you know, when we hear that voice in our head all day long, that's keeping us down. That's keeping us depressed. That's, you know, keeping us small and not living our full lives. So the first thing to do is to start paying attention to that and breaking that that habit, um, you know, and, and, you know, cause like you hear so much about like self-love and it's like, if you don't know what healthy love looks like, you're not able to move into self-love. So I just say like move into neutrality first, 
I'm just like, okay, I don't need to call myself a complete idiot. I can just say, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And then gradually catching yourself each time you do it, like that in, in itself is, is an act of self-love of just like, you're not berating yourself constantly. So I think that's the first place to go. And then just noticing what we are doing to our bodies as well. Like, you know, our, our patterns, are we, you know, doing things that are, you know, are we living lives that are completely unhealthy and abusing ourselves in that way? There's so many ways um, that we, we abuse ourselves and that we hurt ourselves and just examining, okay, how, how am I treating myself? Do I treat my body like a temple or am I abusing it constantly too? So those are two places to start that, you know, don't involve anybody else around you but they they have massive impact when when you start making those changes and and i feel that it doesn't take that long when when we're committed to making those changes it, you know it's a matter of weeks before we can you know create the new neural pathways and you know all that exciting scientific yeah. stuff to just stop stop those behaviors what have you done with your own children so your your husband left you and then there was 10 years in those formative years were we take on all of that, all of that trauma, right? And that becomes part of our DNA. So for 10 years after your husband lost his life, your children, your sons were taking on all of that trauma as well as the trauma that you were possibly imbuing upon them from your toxicity that you're addressed. So as you've started to become more self-aware and treat yourself, what also simultaneously have you been doing for your children and that others who have lost lives right now could also start to impart. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was not the best mom in those years for sure. And, you know, my 18 year old who, who's, you know, done some of his own therapy is now in the process of, of sharing all those pains with me. <laughs> That's fun. an interesting conversation. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. I, I just learned to listen. <laughs> like There's nothing I can say to make it better. It's like, yeah, you're right. I was completely checked out. I was not there for your needs. You know, I did, you know, two, two things that I did live by was, you know, one, um, you know, my parenting style was do everything the complete opposite of the way I was raised. So in that alone, I was already a couple of steps ahead and I did put my kids into, you know, group therapy and, and bereavement programs right from the start that could help them because I knew I couldn't. Um, but yeah, once I started doing my work, it was really around complete transparency of this is what's going on. This is what I'm going through. This is my healing. I'm going to be a mess for a while, a different kind of mess than you're accustomed to. And, um, you know, a lot of crying and just really being open with them and talking to them so much more about what my childhood was like, what it was like losing my husband, um, you know, and, just being very vulnerable and, and letting them have the space to, to have that vulnerability too and having a lot of very difficult conversations. Uh, you know, my younger son was diagnosed with depression as well. And he's you know given me permission to talk about it because he knows the work that I'm doing. And it's really about, you know, in coaching terms, we call it designing an alliance. Um, and it's, we really have, you know, we're constantly, negotiating and renegotiating our relationship just from this place of openness of just like okay how do you want me to show up for you the best like you know when when he had his diagnosis I was just like all right well how how do we move forward from here and he was like mom I just want you to treat me the same way you did 
the day before I told you I wasn't feeling like myself. I'm just, I'm still me. Don't be, a, don't fix me. Don't try and go into those spaces. And, um, you know, and I'm just like, okay, and I'm probably going to mess up. And if you can just like, try not to like completely yell at me every time I do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to work on it and just learning, learning to ask and trust that his answer is the truth. Not like, well, I, you know, I know better because I'm the parent. Like, I don't, I don't know. You know, he knows his experience a lot better. And, you know, unless he's asking me. And so, you know, it's again, having those questions of, you know, you're coming to me with all this stuff. Do you want me to just listen or are you looking for advice from me? And he'll tell me, like, he knows the answer right off the bat. That's why he's coming to me. It's just like, yeah, this is what I need from you. And it just makes our relationship so much easier. And, um, you know, but, you know, all relationships have their challenges because you're bringing different personalities in. But I just feel like, you know, if I'm having a crappy day by me just telling them, like, look, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent today. Like, you know, I, I'm going to do mom, but I'm going to do it at my best. And like, they know, and then the expectations, you know, set pretty low too. So, you know, I and just that. allowing for mess. I love that. And, and, you know, there's a, a different generation of parenting. So I'm thinking of the way that I was parented and you've brought like a humanity to it that isn't shocking to your kids. Because I remember my mother going through something when I was 17 and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, she's a person and what the heck is going on? And you couldn't relate to it and you couldn't help because you're like, she's sitting in the corner, she's crying, but she's my mom and she's supposed to just take care of me. And she's supposed to have that facade. So you, you know, you need to cut yourself some slack too, when you're saying you might not have been the best parent, because you have given them a head start on that and realizing that we're all just people that are trying to get through situations. And you've said as well, you know, through dis discomfort comes growth. So you're giving that opportunity to them as well for growth, which we all need when we're sheltered from the, the realities of what it is through, even if it's a good marriage you know, a good life, all these things, it's never perfect. Or someone that has led a perfect life, I, I don't want to be their friend. They're boring. They have nothing to contribute to me. So it's funny because Lisa and I were both parents. We talk about that fine line between parenting and advising, if you will. And we're always trying to fix our kids. We're always thinking because we're parents, we know better. But I don't personally know jack shit about being a parent. And I feel like every day I'm making something up just trying to figure it out. But it wasn't until I kind of realized that sort of admission that my job isn't to fix my kids. My job is to be available to them, to teach them to be independent of me, that I started kind of seeing a real change in my children um, in terms of becoming more independent of, them, of what and what they needed. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of different types of parenting going on. So it's interesting that with all the different styles that people parent their children, they're all still relatively have sort of the same outcome. And I'm, I'm curious if you think there's a, if there's any one particular way to parent a child, having gone through what you've gone through and seen what you've seen, do you have any specific recommendations on parents and raising children? Or is it just kind of, like I said, just make it up as you go along? It's make it up as you go along. I mean, that's the human experience. We're all yeah. making it up as we go along. Nobody has any idea of how to do this right. And it's like, you know, it just dropped that expectation completely and you're going to be so much happier. <laughs> 
I read a really good book right after my divorce. It's called Scream Free Parenting. And I don't remember the name of the author, but oh. um, if you've ever heard it, never, if no. never heard of it, it's a brilliant book, but it, it also teaches you how to just associate with people in general. Um, you mentioned something early uh, in the conversation about helping people during, especially during this period right now. How do you find people? How do you, how do you, how do you find people right now as outside of social media, you know, even as business owners, how do we find the right type of people that we want to engage with and form community with and network with that sort of stuff? What are some of the tips and, and, and tricks you have for that? Well, it depends. It depends where, where you guys are and what stage of lockdown here in Toronto, we're back in lockdown. You can only see your immediate Dang. family. I know <laughs> it's not fun. So it, it's, it is social media. It is going online and finding the groups and, you know, we are dependent on our computers right now. Unfortunately, I'm, you know, hoping this doesn't last long. <laughs> and, you know, because it's really, it's taking a toll on, on us humans. Uh, you know, we, we need that connection. We need to be, you know, face to face, side by side, mm -hmm. feeding off each other's energy. This is, this is not really healthy. And I think, you know, it's, it's just accepting we, we have to do, do our best right now. And if it is online, then it is online. Like, I mean, here, you know, we can't even go into stores, you know, there's, there's nothing we can do to, to be meeting people any other way, you know, and you walk down the street, but everyone's like, you know, if you're on the sidewalk, somebody's crossing the street. <laughs> so, people know. did that with him before Corona. <laughs> so he's used to it. <laughs> Change the subject very quickly before I just start my didactic discourse on that nonsense. Okay, okay. Um, you talk about dance. I'm not sure what your key dance moves are, if you can do the Elaine or anything like that. <laughs> but um, you're talking about other ways to decompress. Can you maybe suggest a few things for people just to kind of stay sane and decompress yeah. and, and find yeah. some joy? Dance, dance is a big part of my life. Um, no, I can't do the Elaine. I, I actually found this type of dance called um, ecstatic dance, which is um, an ancient form of, of dance going way back where there's just music and you, you move however your body is called to move. So. Oh, I bet your boys like that. <laughs> what, what was it called again, Michelle? Ecstatic. Ecstatic. <laughs> like ecstasy, yes. <gasps> So it's really, yeah, like if you feel like having seizures and shaking it out, go ahead and do that. Yeah, they love it. I mean, good thing they're both living in residence now. <laughs> so I have a whole house to I'm myself. I'm sure they've too. told their friends. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> and that's even too embarrassing to talk about. But um, that was a big piece of my healing too, of just like, yeah, I can take up, I mean, back when we were doing it in person, it was just like, I can take up space in the dance floor. I can float around. I can jump around. I can roll on the ground if I want to. And, you know, no matter how weird my movement feels to me, like there are 10 other people doing things that are even weirder. So cool. No one's judging me. And uh, so that's very liberating. And it's wild because there are, are groups that have formed online, like DJs, like I, I'm part of a group that sadly I don't get too often enough because I'm usually not awake <laughs> early enough, but they have like a rise and shine ecstatic dance. So there's a guy who creates a set every morning and people sign on and they're just dancing on Zoom, whether you want to be on camera or not, it's up to you. But cool. yeah, it's still, it's, there's a community feel. And then there's a circle afterwards where people can share. So, so we're, we're getting pretty creative with, um, you know, what we can bring online. And I say, take advantage of that. Like, 
if, if you're needing community, find community. And this is the way we've got to do it right now. Do you find when, when you're talking about that, I'm just thinking about accountability. Do you find that what you do in people's lives right now is like you are the best accountability partner someone could have? Yes. And um, I also don't want my clients to create a dependency on me. So it's very much like it's up to you. And if you're not willing to do the work, you know, then, then they're not, you know, I can't work with them. Like I can't do more than one. I'll show up with my hundred percent, but I set the expectation to that. I expect them to show up with their hundred percent. And I've, I've had clients, you know, during this time that are just like, yeah, you know, I'm not motivated. It's like, okay, what's one small thing you can do. And then they don't do it. And it's like, okay, we can talk about what got in the way, but if they're like, yeah, and they come up with excuses rather than just saying, yeah, I just, I didn't do it. Yeah. Or, or whatever it is, but you know, if they're not willing to put in the work, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't be the hundred, you know, 200% accountability and, and they're not showing up fully. So yeah, you know, I think we all have to take that personal responsibility. And, you know, I lived as a, I was a, the biggest victim ever <laughs> for many, many years. And I know that space and we can blame everybody and everything, but at the end of the day, it's, it is our responsibility to do our work. That's a big word right there. And I think it's a word that's been lost on a lot of people's personal responsibility. Honestly, I think it all, a lot of our failures in our life comes down to that. And we can all say how busy yeah. we are and we're this and we're that. And, you yeah. know, we all talk about blaming other things and excuses are like assholes and all of that. But, you know, at some point you need to like move on. You, you talk as well about emotional resilience. You've got a, a course that you teach on that too. Can you tell us a little bit of what we could do to be more emotionally resilient in, in, any time. I know this time we're all talking about 2020, but in any time. Yeah. Um, it comes down to mindfulness. That's been um, a huge part of my own healing of just recognizing what is happening within us. I mean, I know for myself before I did my healing, I, you know, got triggered by everything and everybody. And I just didn't have that. I lacked that awareness until I was like, you know, at that, you know, hundred percent freaking out. And, and it doesn't actually have to be that way. And it's, it's really about creating like the same way, creating the awareness of what our thoughts are. It's creating the awareness of our thoughts, our emotions, what's happening in our body, learning those signals um, and recognizing them and recognizing to certain circumstances that are going to set us, you know, set us off. Like maybe there's a person that like every time you talk to them, they piss you off. So knowing going in, okay, I need to kind of cool myself. I need to deal with this, this interaction if you have to. I mean, there's also choosing not to, but say you say you have to of just having that awareness and knowing going in, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to go through. You know, there are many tools that we can do to keep ourselves, you know, may, maybe not at a zero, but you know, even at a 30 is better than being way up at a hundred in, in trigger and, and just using those tools each time and just having that awareness so that we're not constantly, you know, flipping our lid. Mm -hmm. That's great. That was the last question you wanted to ask, sort of a tool, tool belt. Oh, okay, toolkit. you go ahead, sorry. No, no, that's all. <laughs> so Michelle, people can find you online at michelleonhangcoaching.com. Is that correct? And that's A-N-H-A-N-G. Yes. 
and you're on Instagram yes. at the same handle, Michelle on same, same one everywhere. Yes. If you have a final note to leave this planet before you move into the next plane, whenever that is, what would be your message? Happiness is possible. Freedom is possible. It's just up to us to, to find it and, and yeah, to decide that we're going to do it. But it, yeah, none of us are stuck where we are. I love that. All right. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for jumping on with us. It's a good conversation. Thank you. Have a great, great. day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. You too.